Welcome to open. <laughs> Welcome to open theism. Welcome to open theism. <laughs> Welcome to God's Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher, and today I got the eminent uh, professor, doctor, not professor, doctor of physics, physicist John Fisher, here with me, doctorate. Yep, doctorate of metaphysics. So tell oh, everyone your qualifications for physics. For physics, what's your doctorate in? Uh, I got a bachelor's degree in physics, a master's degree in biomedical engineering, and a doctorate in nanoscience and nanotechnology. So this is uh, Doctor of Science we have here. And uh, what was <laughs> yeah. your thesis paper on? Multiphoton imaging. Yeah, yeah multiphoton imaging. So we got the real deal here. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about physics with a physicist, um, a doctor of physics. And uh, see if physics, physics, is that a real thing? We're actually going to talk about how do we know anything. And uh, I'd like to pull up for conversation this book, I Am Strange Loop. I've probably mentioned it a couple times on the podcast. And basically his contention is that everything that goes on in our mind is inherently self-referential. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's a profound book because it... It's, it sort of gives context the idea of what identity is. What is a person? What, what, what are you when you think about yourself? Like, for instance, so every time you think about yourself, you're, you think about, um, you know, this is my hand, this is my foot, this is my desires, this is my ideas. And he asked the question, every time you say that, what, what is the actual my behind that uh, be behind that identity like will will if you start stripping all of those things away will what will there still be something there at the end of it and Hofstadter is interesting because his contention is that it's actually more of a self-referential situation where you're referencing all your all those other attributes about yourself in reference to these other things so when you say my hand my soul my Thoughts, it's in reference to the totality of who you are, as opposed to some sort of like kernel that is non-existent, some floating entity outside of all that. Yeah, so I, I think it's very interesting, this uh, whole self-referential thing, because typically we would think of something that's self-referential is inherently contradictory. You don't define a word using the word itself, but if you look at the dictionary as a whole, Every single word in the dictionary loops around eventually outside of the dictionary there there there's no link to the real world. You have to bring in your assumptions in the dictionary in order to make it make sense because it's all self referential inherently, and that's typically how we we experience the world around us. We talked a little bit about the TED video about how optical illusions work and how how your mind can be tricked into seeing different colors based on context. In one context, the exact same color might be purple. In the other context, it might be yellow. We are inherently contextual creatures, and we understand things from accumulating and understanding data in context of other data. No data point stands alone. Yeah, that's right. And so, and so people get this idea that you could just sort of intuit, internalize everything that from, from nothingness. Uh, Descartes is actually famous for sort of broaching this idea with his famous, I think, therefore I am. Which itself is a very funny idea because 
Um, when you say, I think, therefore I am, you're already postulating there's an I there thinking, therefore you are. And so it's already in this context of a kind of self-referential where you're assuming the thing that you're trying to prove in the first place. And, and Descartes' entire vision when he's trying to make this case, I don't know if everyone knows the phrase, I think, therefore I am, but it, it, people who've actually read his work on it, he, he's deliberately trying to isolate himself from all other inferences that you can come up with, any sort of like physical references, the, the ideas that you see, the, the, the world around him. He says, this is, can all be a trick. How do I know, apart from these things, what I am. And he's trying to, to come up with an existence and, and a first principle outside of all these other reference points. And I think, uh, you know, you already see, even, even in his own declaration, the problem with that idea is that he still has to assume he exists to prove that he exists. And so it ends up becoming, despite all of these trying filtering away the problems, it still is ultimately a self-referential project. It, it's so interesting. So you watch little kids develop. Um, they start out as little babies, and they kind of uh, they're they're thrust into this world that they don't understand, they don't know, and they can't quite process everything. And they start piecing together things as they occur. They're putting together pieces, and then you see the little kids then start to mimic you uh, through their life as they they gain context for the data that they've inputted. They they understand how things are supposed to function. And they'll they'll do this cargo cult thing. A cargo cult, a cargo cult, is this concept of uh, when in World War II, when we were landing planes in a lot of these uh, islands, all these tribal peoples would see us radioing the towers, and a cargo plane would land, and and all the cargo would be offloaded, and they believed that we were like praying to gods. And so once we left the island, these cults would uh, form and try to mimic those radio tower signals to try to get the cargo planes to land. So it's mimicking without understanding. And that's basically what our kids do for the first part of their life, just trying to piece together how things are supposed to operate. My little daughter says, oh, that's a phone. I'm supposed to hold it to my face like this. I'm supposed to talk into it because contextually she's seen other people doing that. She doesn't understand the purpose and function between it, but that's just her putting together the data that she's accumulated thus far. Yeah, that's that's right. Those cargo cultures, they were building airstrips and all sorts of things, and it just didn't lead to anything because it, it came without un understanding. But it, it's a it's an interesting idea because you need to you need to begin somewhere. These people didn't know what the reason was, and nobody seemed to explain it to them in a way that that would actually matter. And so they're they're trying. This is sort of like the beginning stages of learning to find out what what exactly do you have to do. And and this is probably one of the reasons you would see in ancient cultures all all kinds of things like they would think you would have to pray a certain way, or the gods would be angry, and they would they would start trying to relate events in their own lives to what happened with the weather or with the storms or or with just pestilence and disasters of all sorts they're they're operating under these basic um these these basic cause and effect relationships that, that you're trying to piece out but it doesn't necessarily come um all together it's, it's not like you you've developed it from nothing you, you have to operate from that mentality because you don't have anything else to go off of starting out so uh, I guess our next question is, uh, we've, we talked a little bit about how human beings process and understand information. Nothing is 
a matter of fact itself. All the data that we've gathered, it's all contextual, all has to be interpreted uh, per, per user. There, there's, there's no one thing that you can say this is a de facto truth and there, there's, no, there's no alternative uh, explanation for this data. I guess that leads us to question, what is the fundamental building blocks of the universe? And I posted a physics video in which a physicist said, fundamentally, we still don't understand the basic operation and function of the universe. We don't know what, what makes it all work. What, down to the, the smallest particles, what is it fundamentally? Yeah, I don't know the video you posted, but... Um... What what physicists work with right now is what's called the standard model, and it's a it's a model of uh, fields, and it, all particles are essentially thought of in terms of quantum field theory, and and so everything's just sort of clustered into certain sort of groups and categories. But one of the driving forces for string theory is to to, to even harmonize that even closer together because instead of having a bunch of fundamental particles you would want to have just a, a, a few certain algorithms and, and procedures that you can run as a way to predict that everything else has occurred and and that's one of the driving forces it's it's kind of a mathematical dri driven physics problem where they just want to make everything as simple as humanly possible I don't I don't again I don't know the video you specifically mentioned but there's there is even though people physicists love things like simplicity and beauty and that sort of thing there there actually is no fundamental reason that the standard model can't be all there is it's just that it's not as satisfying as it would otherwise be right so fundamentally like uh I'll think back to high school class I had a science teacher and he said this, he said, oh, the Greeks, they used to believe that there were four elements or four atoms that made up all things. There was fire, water, earth, wind. And they believed that th these atoms were the smallest particles. They were wrong. There are smaller particles. There's neurons, protons, and electrons. <laughs> neutrons. <laughs> There's neutrons, protons, and electrons. Uh, his fundamental error was uh, a conflation of terms. Yeah. It, it could turn out. It could turn out in all reality. Maybe there are these four un underlying elements that make up all of reality. We just don't know uh, fundamentally what matter is and how it functions. So when people ask me if I'm a physicalist, all that exists is the physical. We don't even know fundamentally what that means. What that means at. I, what is and, matter? And, what is and, atoms? A big part of the problem of not knowing fundamentally is that it has to be contextualized by the other things that you see. And so matter can only be contextualized by different concepts within matter. And that's why you have you have this, this problem, and I, I call it the infinite why, where you can literally just start asking why for, for everything. You have a little kid, and the kid says, why is the sky blue? And you tell them, and they say, why is that? And they say, why, why, why? And, and the reason for that is that the question why, if you think in, in more mathematical terms, the question why is just an operator that you can start applying to anything. And it's sort of infinitely de derivatable. And uh, there, there's really only two ways in principle that this question can ever meaningfully be resolved. One is that the answer is itself, or two is that the answer is nothing. Otherwise, it will go on forever. So those are your three possibilities. When you start trying to piece together the, the, at the deepest sense of what things are, the, you can already sort of predict what the answer could possibly look like. Either the, there is no answer, or the answer is zero, whatever that would be. There would be or that 
the the questions can just go on forever and ever or there's a loop it becomes self-referential and th that's kind of the this idea with bringing up i am a strange loop in the first place is that everything is sort of ends up ultimately being self-referential in some way yeah so this this model of the world where everything is self-referential we're operating in this kind of quasi-spectrum where we, we don't actually have absolutes. All we have is interpretation of raw data. Uh, this would kind of go against models of the world which de facto claim there's a, there's a physical world and there's a spiritual world. And so some Christians will say, oh, the, the physical world is definitely not the spiritual world. Well, w what kind of assumptions are you bringing into that? It, you're bringing in in a worldview that is not not germane to even the ancient Hebrew worldview, and it's it it's not at the face value. What what am I looking for? It's it's not necessary. It's not the 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 idea. The word supernatural is itself just a sort of modern artificial construction as a way to try to start distinguishing between co um, collections of ideas, but there there. It's kind of an interesting idea in the sense that um, if you're more of a materialist, then you start deliberately defining supernatural as anything that you've ever been able to produce evidence for, which is not necessarily the concept that you would want to look at if you're trying to talk about whether there's a God or not, whether the Bible is true. Because um, what, what I was thinking would be a good example of this, actually, is uh, feeding the 5,000. So say you're one of the 5,000 and you're getting fed by these fish, right? And so uh, typically what they say is that some supernatural act has happening where you're holding a piece of bread and you're pulling on it and there's more and more bread that's coming out. If you try to actually think logistically how this sort of thing happens, what you're going to see is so in some way there would be more bread materializing as you start feeding yourself. And so the question is, like when you're watching this, at what point is that supernatural and what what point is that natural and how would you define where that where that division between supernatural and is you're sitting there watching it and you know if you're a scientist trying to think about this in terms of a scientific mind you your immediate reaction is not going to be that can't happen it's going to be that's cool how did that happen because because in fact what that seems to violate just on, on the surface level is the, the idea of the conservation of mass and energy, which is the fundamental um, logic behind all of physics. If, if that is violated, then all of physics would be violated. And so you wouldn't actually come from an attitude, well, well, physics is all wrong. Physics has been violated, and now supernaturalism is, is complete poppycock. What you would think instead is, there's there's other dimensions to reality that I have yet to consider and that I need to incorporate into my understanding of things like the conservation of mass and energy. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's uh, move on and start talking about uh, space and time. And so, does space exist? Yeah. What, what do you mean? Well, does time exist? Or are they conceptualization devices? Okay, so this is I don't, I'm not entirely sure what you're asking, but if you're just saying that language is is a symbolic thing, and that it's something different than the reality around it, that's probably true. That's one of the problems people have. Do you mean does the concept of time exist? I I, I need to understand your question a little. So better. let's say you're in a video game and it's Minecraft, and you have a pedometer that shows how long you've walked. 
and you walk a mile. Well, we know that uh, our computers just ones and zeros. Uh, we, we just experienced a 3D representation of walking a mile. That mile doesn't actually exist. It only exists by virtue of something that we can conceptualize onto this video game to make sense of what's going on in the video game. Okay, so the, the mile does exist, though. It, it does in exist some in, sense. In, in the context of its video. But even like when you think of physics, there there's certain papers, for instance, that say actually most of, all of 3D reality can be projected onto a 2D dimensional world. And so in, in that sense, it's entirely conceivable that we, are, we ourselves are all holograms of a 2D world that hasn't that doesn't actually exist in that way. So it seems to me that what you're really asking is, are we appropriately interpreting our experiences as the, the only meaningful manifestation of, of that reality? I think another way of saying it, why you're saying that walking a mile in a video game is something that is real in one context and not real in the other but in fact it's sort of it's real in every context the, the, the things are equivalent it's just that we we've uh, misinterpreted or, or overestimated what that what the one reality is when in fact that they're they're equivalent ideas and mm -hmm. as long as they're equivalent ideas they're as real as each other it's just that you haven't pieced together in what way they are real and so would it be a mistake to say walking a mile in real life is uh, real, and then walking a mile in a video game is fake. Well, so this is this is why talking about the language is is such a confusing thing because what you're actually saying is that when you define a mile in real life and define it in the video game, the actual definitions of those miles are different mm -hmm. depending on what you're saying because the, the the definition of what space is and what distance is and what motion is and even possibly what time is is somewhat different depending on whether you're talking about that and the other context and so you, you run into this problem all the time where the language isn't necessarily capable of describing meaningfully the actual physical results this is actually this is this is not something esoteric in the sense that it's irrelevant. This is actually the fundamental problem of quantum mechanics, where you know there's a famous quote. I think it was Richard Feynman who said, "If you think you understand quantum mechanics, you don't understand quantum mechanics." <laughs> and the idea is that you can't actually conceptualize quantum mechanics in any language other than the math. The math is the only way to describe it, because everything else, every time you try to make some sort of more meaningful model in your head compared to what quantum mechanics does it it breaks down it, it fails in in significant ways so every so if you understand quantum mechanics simply through the language of the mathematics that describe it then sure you understand quantum mechanics but you never will be able to personally intuit it because your mind will not interpret reality along those parameters mm-hmm so the practical difference between uh, let's say I have a waking dream or a dream where where I experience everything that's going on as if it was real life. There, you can't draw a distinct difference between me running a mile in a dream and me running a mile in real life, except for in context. But my experience could be the exact same. There, there's no certain way to tell the difference between the two. And so uh, that brings me to a different conversation I was having with an atheist. And he said to me, he said, if there's multiple models of explaining the same phenomena, 
they're equally as likely. So, for example, th this is the this is what uh, I threw out there. Um, so, say you're reading a book. Well, maybe there's there's uh, lights that are reflecting off pages, and the pages have printed text, and they're reflecting to your eyes. Or maybe there's an alien in orbit. I'm reading an entirely different <laughs> book, and he's intercepting those uh, light signals, and he's reflecting brand new light signals to my eyes. Are those equally as likely? Well, that, the whole that whole concept is absurd. And if you actually lived by that, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't believe in anything at any time in any way. Because you can literally endlessly create infinite number of models, and and they can be as as bizarre as humanly possible. What what the normal standard tends to be is that you try to make things as simple as possible, and that you you don't you you try to build models of the world that incorporate all the details while still being less uh, w without any unnecessary baggage so it's more likely uh, this is this was my argument it's more likely that i'm living a real existence than i'm living in some matrix generated world and i'm really connected to some sort of matrix pod somewhere it's more likely yeah. that my default experience right. is probably going to be tr more true than that so, so this is this is a funny thing to bring up because this is um People talk about Sam Harris and Elon Musk famously talked about this too. It's, I, I don't. I think the official name is the simulation theory. I'm not sure, but the the idea is simply that because simulations are very very easy to make, you can make the, in principle as many as imaginable. So so many different sort of simulations of reality that the likelihood that you're in the real world versus the simulation is so low. <laughs> That you're you're probably in the simulation, and Elon Musk is. I don't know if he's just trying to be edgy, but he says he believes it. I think Scott Adams says he believes the simulation model. I, yeah, I, I don't know if Sam Harris does or not, but I know he 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 doesn't think it's a bad idea. <laughs> but I think it's I think it's ridiculous. I think th that it's essentially the the God of the Gaps argument inverted. Which is um, the problem with the God of the Gaps argument uh, that atheists will point out is um, when people start talking about the, the universe and, and its structure and, and function, they say, look at how amazingly fine-tuned the universe is. Therefore, the, the probability that the universe all came together by chance is so low that it's an impossible thing to, to have happened, right? And so what they're just trying to do is come up with probabilities, right? They say the probability of this is so low that it's impossible for this to happen. With the simulation theory, it, it's, it's utterly inverted. It's the idea that there are so many other alternatives to what we actually think the world is operating like that therefore the, the specific one that you're dealing with is so unlikely that you shouldn't believe it. It's the same idea. And, and it has the same inherent problems, which is that you don't have enough information to even know the probabilities of these things. You don't know that a simulation is likely or unlikely. You don't you don't know about how likely it is for the world to exist in the way it is compared to all the other ones. What you actually have to be able to do is describe all the different ways that the world can actually exist, not hypothetically in, in your, your mind, actually exist to be able to establish probabilities. And so you can't actually function along those lines unless you had a very good way of understanding all those. And it's not it's not effective for helping you navigate the world to, to postulate those infinite po probabilities of things that you can't even conceive of. 
Yeah, so that, that was basically my argument to this atheist. I'm sa I said, well, I look at the data, and I try to come up with the best explanation of the data, and just because alternate solutions to the data exist, that doesn't make them equally as likely. I'm going to default with my lived experience. Mm -hmm. And so my lived experience was my argument, and he was rejecting my lived experience as if he's going to override my lived experience, and I'm going to convert to his view and say, oh, all <laughs> yeah. my lived experience, I, yeah. I don't care about that. Um, for example, we were talking about time. My lived experience is that uh, the present is real, the past no longer exists, and the future is not a thing. And presentism, that all that exists is now because I, I don't have access. And I don't know how someone would show anyone having access to the present or future in such a way that would mm -hmm. differentiate it from presentism that all that exists is now. Right. Even, even all the physics d descriptions of how to get into the past based on relativistic thinking, they all involve uh, basically fundamentally violating uh, conservation of mass and energy because it requires things like going at, a, the, at an infinite speed or with, with an infinite mass, things like that, where it, it, you already see in the physics that, that physics is telling you such a thing as going back in time is impossible in any meaningful sense unless you just sort of th throw out the idea that you can somehow travel at an infinite speed. And, and so when, when they come up with these ideas, they're already demonstrating to you such a thing. Time, time certainly is relevant, relative in the sense that some person can experience time in a lot faster way than someone else, but it, it, there's a clear and well-defined arrow of time that says you're always going forward, and everyone at all times is all together in this present moment. The relativity never changes the fact that the present moment is always now. Always now, yeah. It'd be, it'd be really hard to um, counter this or show that this is false. You'd have to have some sort of... I know they've done some quantum experiences where um, they only that the state of particles changes based on observation and they don't reveal the state of observation until afterwards. But well, even that's, that is a, people don't understand what that means when they say that. Cause they don't mean a person observing it. They, they really mean a method of observation. You have a electron and it's probed by a photon and the photon is the observer, which changes the state. So there's a lot of misunderstandings when people even say things like observer, because what a scientist means is not what the random person thinks when they want to come up with some new age philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, the experiment I saw took a, took photons and they were sending them through these different uh, gates. The double slit experiment. Well, uh, but it was it was like uh, multiple double slits. And so the one of the when when it split off to start a second series, um, that's where the observer was stationed, and that affected. Uh, photons on that uh, different branch mm -hmm. and so even if that's the case that doesn't prove that time travel is real that just proves that there's some sort of mechanism that causes this certain pattern based on the current state of the world yeah i, I think i have a, a sense of what you're talking about and that's just that somehow the photons when they're travel when they're choosing their you're splitting them off with a beam splitter somehow they seem to know what they're going to hit before they hit it and they will change their behavior before that happens and then it's in a weird way it's it's not something that like i've read about it's really weird stuff it's not it has nothing to do with no one no one really proposes that it's actually there experiencing stuff that time has somehow been violated because of that and 
they, it's predicted by based on the quantum mechanics if you if you look at it with in terms of just the equations but it's not something that says that somehow there is no such thing as time because that would actually be coming up with a mechanism that's that isn't what quantum mechanics is telling you that that's in fact coming up with those explanations is what i mean which is when i say that quantum mechanics defies our intuitions every time you try to come up with those models they're meaningful and testable and you can test to prove that, that those aren't actually what's going on so, yeah I, so it's it's somewhat annoying that people try to use quantum mechanics and uh or or relativity or any kind of physics to tr justify some of the bizarre ideas they have mm -hmm. because usually they don't even understand what what the experiment was doing and so to, Try to minimize that. Even I should probably minimize that. Yeah, all this uh, the speculation. This, this experiment proved this. Now time is no more and doesn't exist. It's like okay, now you got all this reverse causation going on. You got it. Just all doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, that's probably why my favorite time travel movie is Twelve Monkeys. Is because it's a closed loop. It's all faded. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no free will. Everything must happen according to what has already been set from time eternal. That's the only way this type of theory actually works in practice. Not necessarily with the physics, but in or uh, reverse causation, that's the only way you solve it. Right. It, it would. It would. It basically, the, the idea of twelve monkeys is that at least the thing that you would intuit from that is that somehow this the entire narrative of history has to be prescripted. That, that's kind of a funny thing, especially when you're thinking about open theism, is that if something uh, from the future affected the past in a closed-loop form, then it's only because it was already prescripted to happen that way. All right, absolutely. Okay, so we're, we're going on about 30 minutes. Uh, this is a pretty fast and dirty physicist with my yeah, doctor friend, <laughs> Dr. Fisher. I'm also a doctor. I got my doctorate of theology, kind of. And you got one in metaphysics for 30 bucks, right? Well, no, not in metaphysics. I got one in uh, theology. It's an honorary theology mm -hmm. physics doctorate degree. So two doctors having yeah. a discussion about physics with uh, physicist Jonathan Fisher. And uh, so we, we talked about how we know anything. We know things contextually. We don't know things in and of themselves. All the data that we have, we have to piece together and try to understand in context even something as simple as colors is is based on contextual surrounding there's no object in and of themselves that we have access to everything is a closed loop in in our lives uh, in the dictionary and uh, how we understand things let's see uh, how do we know anything about fundamentally about the universe we we don't fundamentally know the basic building blocks of the universe we just don't know how it functions and operates we have to try to understand the data that we have available one thing we didn't talk about was how not knowing these smaller aspects i don't have to know how a car engine works i don't know how i have to know how the engine functions and the gas explodes in order for me to jump in my car and drive down to walmart it, that it's irrelevant to my day-to-day -day lifestyle. And so not understanding the basic building blocks of the universe, the basic uh, particles of physics, that has no effect on my daily life because I operate at a meta level. I don't operate at that sub-level. And as long as the sub-level is predictable in some fashion, all the gas molecules uh, in the I Am Strange loop, he uses the example of an engine, all the gas molecules exploding, expanding. Some go down, some go up, but the aggregate 
pushes that cylinder up so that the motor runs. As long as they're predictable on aggregate in some sort of uh, way that reoccurs, I could live my life without any knowledge of how these sub-processes work. This is, uh, this is actually one of the interesting things when you look at relativity, when you try to understand relativistic equations. Uh, what, what actually happens when you look at the relativistic equations is that uh, as long as you're looking within the regime common to human experience in terms of speeds and mass, uh, the relativistic equations turn into F equals MA. And so what, what, what it's telling you is that F equals MA is just kind of like an incomplete description of the broader picture, but it, it's very accurate and useful within everything that you need to use for your daily life. Is, and so, you know, if you're going to ask a philosopher a question, is the, the equation F equals MA, is that, is, that a, uh, is that true or is that false? And the physicist will probably say, that's true, F equals MA, and the, and the philosopher will say it's false because obviously relativity shows that F doesn't equal MA, and all you have to do is get to high speeds to get there. But physicists don't care. They're, they're just trying to look at how this thing applies in, the, in uh, the context of the question that they're asking. And so if they're asking a question like, how do we get to the moon, people, every, as a... As, uh, a number of you know we got to the moon on f equals ma if they're asking how do you get gps to be very accurate then you need the relativistic equations but one thing comes from the other and so you could you could in fact start interpreting our broader understanding of the world as a way of piecing things together slowly and surely by adding to the concepts after we figure things out. We know what our daily experience is like, and then we add to that by when we get new information that incorporates that. That addition, though, does not invalidate the original thing. It, in fact, the, the only way to add is to have your new explanation incorporate the old data. All right. So, uh, so fundamentally, uh, I don't need to know how quantum physics works, my life operates with uh, pretty regular occurrences that are predictable and uh, I'm able to function in my day-to-day -day life without any knowledge of these subsystems. And they, they could occur and they could occur randomly. There's a lot of uh, talk about randomness and, and particles. As long as they operate with some consistency, my life can go on in a meaningful way without any, any knowledge whatsoever about the fundamental nature of reality that's irrelevant to my day-to-day -day life. Yeah, yeah. everyone's computer has transistors in it, and your transistors operate through quantum mechanics because what, what happens is that you have a certain probability that your electron is going to tunnel through an energy wall to, to go through the transistor, and that's how you, that's how you gate the information. That's a probability distribution, and the reason that you, it's you know people would talk about quantum mechanics as being uh, a probability where there's inherent randomness in the system, but but as long as you're using large scale numbers like billions of electrons, it it doesn't really matter because those 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 things become so highly probable that you can still operate basic or your very computers on this logic. Be so. So what, what, what ends up happening is that you don't really need to understand quantum mechanics because there's an inherent structure. Despite the fact that randomness exists, 
the, the world is biased towards a certain result, you will get that result. And in terms of the, as soon as you get to the size of you and I, that result is so ridiculously predictable that you can base your entire reality, which you can expect the sun to come up the next day. You can expect to wake up the next day as long as you eat right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So space, time, all of these concepts are relative to our experience. We might experience space differently in our dreams or space differently in a video game and space differently in real world. When people get criticized for maybe not believing in a spiritual world, well, what is a spiritual world right. and how do you know exactly that this thing exists in the way that you're saying? And how is this not part of the quote unquote physical world? We don't know what physics are. Right. The, the problem with creating an arbitrary line between spiritual and physical is that uh, you have to have a meaningful definition of what is spiritual, supernatural, that sort of thing. I, I think one of the problems that what people have when they start defining these things is that the definition is a definition of negation. That It's defined as not being physical, and therefore no matter what you do to d describe something, it's therefore not considered part of that world. And that's that's nonsense. Like you're never going to get it. It's 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 intentionally designed so that you can never come up with a meaningful explanation behind what happens. I guess in a, one sense, that's how all language works. That you're not going to have a super specific definition. They're just generalizations. Uh, I think we use a cat in my, one of my previous episodes. What is a cat? And uh, you know, is a robot cat a cat? Is a cat maybe a cat's defined as a mammal with four legs? What about one of those hairless cats so what if it was born with three legs maybe is born with cats down syndrome missing some chromosomes that cats yeah. normal i don't know if cats have down syndrome uh, but a cat with down syndrome that has different chromosome structure than a normal cat what is a cat well we kind of generally know what we think of as a cat and anything that loosely meets that definition it doesn't have to be exact on the dot that's that's how language functions. It doesn't function with the hard and fast absolutes. We just make generalities. As long as we all understand that that's what we're operating on and we're not operating on hard and fast truths, then uh, we could agree to get along. <laughs> yeah, the, the funny thing about these, these questions of whether they're hard and fast truths is that um, it, it, you're actually just bringing up the argument between Plato and Aristotle about platonic forms. Plato is, is someone who says that a cat is a concept, is a form that has its own sort of inherent existence outside of human experience. Whereas Aristotle is saying that a cat is more of a concept that you created as a collection of your experiences. And, and therefore, that's one of the reasons that it's inherently fuzzy. Plato says that the, the fuzziness is something that, that the material world will pervert. Aristotle is just saying, no, it's because, you know, you never had a really fine definition of some things in the first place they're meant to be a little more flexible as a way to incorporate most of experience and that's what, one of the reasons that language ch changes and it adapts and evolves yeah you probably didn't listen to the episode but afterwards dale tuggy uh he didn't like me calling him a platonist because he was using uh, plato's theory of the forms to, de to define self yeah. remember he's a unitarian and he stated that any being with two different wills is not one being and I said, well, really? Because I used the example of multiple man from X-Men. I always considered this multiple man who could split into multiple people. I always considered him one person. And that that's a pretty general idea, as we saw from in, in that actual episode. You probably did see it, so you probably don't know what I'm referring to. Someone did a 
Star Trek transporter question. If you step into a Star Trek transporter, your molecules are broken down, you teleport to somewhere else in space, and it's built up again. But both you step out of the original transporter and out of that uh, remote transporter, are there two U's and one U? Are there two U's or one U? And most everyone said there's there's uh, both of them are U. Most everyone who's, who's voting. It was like 5,000 votes. Really? Yeah. And I so, wouldn't say that. But. Well, you wouldn't. But the, the fact is that a large majority of people would say that both those people are the same people. That's their concept of what it means to be self. Yeah. And so that okay. just demonstrates the looseness of these concepts and right. these ideas that you, you don't have a hard and fast definition that you could go to. And there's going to be disagreement whether or not we agree with their actual answer mm -hmm. or not. But anyways, uh, this episode's going fairly long. We'll have to cut it down a little bit. To last questions, is metaphysics a thing, or is it just nonsense? Well, I'm I'm a little confused with the, the people mean different things when they say metaphysics because metaphysics seems to mean just ontology, which is a field of philosophy. Yeah, here, here's a here's the definition. This is the funniest thing. So you look at this. This is the definition of metaphysics according to Wikipedia, a branch of philosophy that deals in first principles of things, including abstract concepts such as being, knowing, substance, cause, identity, time, and space. Those are all valid questions to ask in philosophy, and you can you can put those together and call it a discipline, right? And then the very next thing, they say abstract theory with no basis in realities. <laughs> and that's just sort of the snide re response that people have when they hear the word metaphysics because it, it's not as sophisticated as using a word like ontology. So I'll tell you what I think when I hear metaphysics. When I hear metaphysics, I, I think of people engaging in dignum dio theology. What would make God the best God? And then they say, well, a God who changes wouldn't be the best God. And so what we posit is that God cannot change in any sense. A God with dependencies is not the best God. And so um, God who exists must exist without dependencies. Oh, oh, by the way, they say, God must exist because the definition of God is the greatest being imaginable and a God that exists is better than a God who just doesn't exist. Therefore, God exists by definition. And so... In that sense, metaphysics being dignum dio philosophy, I would tend to say that there is no basis in reality. <laughs> well, right. And so that's the whole problem is that what what does the word metaphysics mean? <laughs> yeah, what does it mean? Well, that you heard it from our resident physicist, John Fisher. All right. Uh, questions or comments? Start a thread on God is Open Facebook group. Thank you for listening.